Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Brittany Spanos, and we're going to be talking about Rob Sheffield's kind of mind-blowing list of the top 99 songs of 1999. And to prove that, as always, we're doing this show live from the SiriusXM studios. Rob is not physically here yet. He's checked in, but he'll be here momentarily. So just to add a little suspense to the situation. But Brittany and I were both alive in 1999. Yes. Brittany, barely. You look <laughs> Barely. <laughs> like it might not be true. How Six old were you? going on seven. Six going on seven. Yeah. Totally sentient human being yes. at that point. Yes. I think 1999 was probably one of the first really formative years of my music listening experience. And I'm sure there's a lot of touchstones of that experience on this list, in addition yeah. to songs that you definitely had never heard of at that time and, and songs I didn't hear of at the time. Yeah. I and mean, Rob goes deep. Uh, I find these lists mind-blowing. Again, just the way Rob's mind works, picking up truly obscure album tracks from truly obscure bands and mm -hmm. mixing them with the biggest hits of the era. And, and I liked his kind yeah. of like, and he mentioned it in the intro where it's like there were a couple of songs that technically were released and kind of were budding in 1999, but he knew that they kind of belonged to 2000 or 98 or just kind of felt like they belonged to a different year too. Yeah, he and I like almost got into like a fist fight over the idea of Dead Baby One More Time belongs on this list and not 1998 because <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm very literal and I'm not kind of thinking, I can't abide that, but yeah. uh, that's been asked and answered. While we wait for him, let's talk about number one, No Scrubs. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, what's going to be his number one? And when I got there, it's hard to argue with. Yeah. That is a pretty great song. I mean, in a year of a lot of really influential pop music, I think that one is is a song that just keeps coming back in different forms more than any other song from 99. Just being covered, sampled, everything. Well, yeah, I think it rises to the level of a modern day standard yeah. in the sense of people covering it. And I don't know why we just keep coming back to the Weezer's covers album. It just keeps coming up. <laughs> but yes, Weezer covered it. As with a few other things, augurs that mixture of hip hop and R&B that mm -hmm. became the sound of pop music for the century that would follow. And I mean, just kind of that radio shift to pop expanding beyond just like what was seen as pop music for so long and kind of shifting into having rap verses on a pop song and like having these girl groups who were really cracking through into the top 10 like that. It really ushered in a lot of what we saw in the early 2000s. I think we're still absorbing the true greatness of TLC. TLC yeah. ruled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <They were> awesome. <laughs> he has Len Steal My Sunshine at number two. And everyone always loved that song. I remember even like the indie snobs that I knew at the time, like <laughs> just love that song. I like it okay. There's something about that song that it was the disposable pop song that sort of rock critics and indie snobs really, really loved. Something about it, I think I, I'm still slightly not completely down with that agenda, but I do enjoy the song very much. I know, that was a very left field number two yeah. pick for Rob. I mean, a very Rob pick, but well, see, also... It didn't surprise me because I knew of that tendency at the time. Yeah. It was that thing, you know, it was like there always was like that Poptimist strain in rock critics and they always kind of <laughs> dug into it. It probably was led by Rob before yeah. I know, but yeah. Let's just keep talking about Rob like he's not here, even though he has arrived. Hello. Hello. Again, proving that it's live, we have Rob Sheffield. Hello? Like the new millennium, I'm arriving suddenly and abruptly and not necessarily welcomely. <laughs> Y2K of humans. Yeah. With, with, completely with all the welcome in the world. We were talking about Steal My Sunshine and the fact that Brittany was surprised to see it at number two. I wasn't because I knew that 
it was always a beloved song among critics and among, you know, like sort of indie hipsters. It was the disposable pop song that that sort of hipsters always loved. Not to call you that, but I just knew that it was more than a disposable <laughs> pop song. It, it always had that critical cachet that went beyond its superficial quality. Well, like so many of the hits of 1999, it was super experimental and super innovative and super massive and populist at the same time. That was no contradiction in 1999. It was. And there's a great picture of the lead singer looking like, I guess it's a still from the video, looking like, how can I phrase this? Like, if you just Google image the phrase douche from 1999, <laughs> it, it would have, it, and he's wearing those Oakleys, which I now sadly remember that I had a pair of, maybe not in 99 though. I think I wore them in 96 briefly. Okay, uh, yeah. So I was hipper than the dude. I tossed them by, I, I think by 99. And uh, this is still how every guy in Bushwick dresses. Yeah, no. <laughs> Influential fashion template of yeah. the 90s, definitely. I just had a goatee at that point, but that's the whole other thing. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing of like this like completely weird disco sample that turns into this semi-rap, semi-rock, like all the way tuneless and brilliant and nonetheless <laughs> perfect. You can sing along the first time with those quintessential 1999. Those aren't the real lyrics, are they? Which is a very common response to the radio at that time. <laughs> those aren't the real lyrics, are they? Let's hear Len steal my sunshine. Now, words that have not been said recently on the radio to my knowledge. <laughs> Sunday morning of last week I don't know why, but I want to hear that played over like a montage of just like the catastrophes of the 21st century. (laughs) 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 They stole our sunshine, Rob. (laughs) The fact that Len's second album was never released is a chief among those catastrophes. I'm one of those people who actually has the advanced CD which is you know, oh so the album was like finished and they just never yeah they actually they sent out the advanced CDs and people were like you were like oh yes Len have a new album like <laughs> I guess the record company did not share that enthusiastic sentiment yeah. so it was never actually released it was a time when you could have a smash single and they just wouldn't release your next album yeah. well, not a lot of faith in long term careers yes unlike now yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, and just the sort of slap togetherness of it it's mm-hmm. like the first time you saw the video or heard the song you were totally like that's totally Totally that dude's sister. Like, that's not a pro singer, clearly. It's not a member of the band. Yeah. It's clearly, it's not a friend. It's like, you just came up with this beat and your little sister is sleeping downstairs and you wake her up to sing because you want that vibe right now. It's such a, like, perfect, it sounds very homemade, yeah. but also as pop as can be. And we're going to skip Baby one more time because we did an entire episode about it. And, and, we're, and no doubt will again. And we're, yes. Free Britney, that's all I'll add. Yes. And number four, an appropriate segue from Baby One More Time is Slater Kinney's Get Up and Slater Kinney in 99 man unbelievable on a roll and it's funny because you know Slater Kinney just released their new single and people are like oh my gosh this doesn't sound anything like their last album have they really lost it and Get Up people were having those conversations then like people have always been freaked out by the new thing Slater Kinney's doing whatever it is Mm because it's always different from what they did last time Judging by the drummer departure, I'm afraid the freakout was a little bit more widespread yeah, this time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if we can universalize this. It's, it's but, but... a little difficult emotionally to go <laughs> yeah. back to this yes. song. But this song is just such an astoundingly like loud and emotionally aggressive and open-hearted song. It's just really kind of a powerhouse. Let's hear it. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we could do an entire show on Jay-Z and UGK's Big Pimpin', which is probably one of the greatest songs of all time, and extremely important in the Southern New York access that sort of debuted there. And little did Jay know he was passing the torch of one region to another that possibly would never be given back, but that's, you know. Yeah, and a weird aspect of hip-hop at that time is that division between North and South was so massive, and, you know, like, New York radio would not play Outkast. It was a thing where the South versus... New York, effectively, was still such a huge thing. So hearing Big Pimpin' for the first time and like hearing UGK on it was just really revolutionary, utopian in so many ways. And just like, you know, I know we're not even allowed to talk about like bars and lyrical <laughs> skills anymore. If Charles was here, he'd he would just turn off my mic. But, <laughs> but I'm sorry, like there was some absolutely amazing rapping on that song. I'm sorry. It's like, I enjoy great guitar solos. I enjoy great rapping. Shoot me. Let's hear it. That's right. Big pimpin', spinning cheating. G G G G Perhaps not the most lyrically uh, <laughs> virtuosic the, portion of this song, but still. One okay. of the greatest hip hop beats of all time. Absolutely, yes. Also, one of the most litigated about hip hop beats. Still like, in court. I yes, yeah, it's the bleak house of hip hop beats. <laughs> this lawsuit will outlive everybody like who was involved in this record. But also, yeah, just the bars that you mentioned completely and sounding so wrong to 1999 conventional hip-hop ears Mm -hmm. it was like wait was bun b done like (laughs) you know was he just trying out what was going to be on the finished record no that's the finished record it's crazy (laughs) and uh next i will say this a very helpful fan made a spotify playlist out of your list and thank you it's incredible it also like is the most jarring mixtape of all time because it's just like (laughs) because you were ordering it in order of greatness not in order of it's not in any way like super jarring to listen to but that's that's okay does not flow (laughs) flow very antithetical to the 1999 brand. But I think like, more playlists should have Slater Kenny and then Big Pimp. Yeah. <laughs> and then Fiona Apple's Paper Bag. Yeah, it makes all those songs yeah. sound better to be like jammed up together. I will say, I mean, it is pretty annoying to say the least looking back, people's determination to make a joke at a Fiona Apple. It pissed me off at the time, honestly, and it, in retrospect, it just seems like completely unacceptable and wrong. It's weird that there was so little, like considering how huge she was and how famous she was and how controversial she was, how just little sort of recognition there was that something this masterful was going on right under everybody's mm-hmm. nose. Well, maybe she'd put on a red baseball cap and then encourage the crowd to uh, you know tear apart a letting tower. People would have more appreciated her artistry you more in that both. era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can have both as great artists. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, two now icons you're... against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, now you're just doing that he said, she said. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, that is the actual he said, she said yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Let's hear Paper Bag if we can. And again, it came from this album with a long title. Oh, it must be terrible. I mean, I guess what I was getting at with the red baseball cap is imagine Fiona on TRL in that era talking about this song, you know? Imagine, yeah. It's like like Carson Daly attempting to grapple with this. But yeah, everybody was so determined to make fun of this record. I was reviewing it for Rolling Stone and I was so excited before I heard it. I said, ooh, I've been saving up all these Fiona jokes, you know, like, boy, am I going to have fun? You know, like there's going to be about six This World is Bullshit jokes in the lead graph alone. And it was a thing where you just hear the album and it's like, wow, everything I had 
thinking I was going to say about this artist is completely wrong and already outdated. But to go to an actual joke that is still a good song. <laughs> <laughs> and R.I.P. LFO Summergrass. Oh my gosh. Uh, one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> yeah. I truly love it. It's just like so perfect because there is like a linear story happening, but there are so many tangents that it's just doesn't make sense because I love like going through the lyrics. I'm just like, this is just a series of opinions told in the middle of a love story and it's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> in the middle, very like we were talking earlier about the effect of like, are those the real lyrics? And yeah. 20 years with this song and I'm still like, wait, what is the Ruby Red Slippers doing in this? Yeah. Ruby Red Slippers, a gang of trees. Billy Mac Shakespeare and wrote yeah. a whole bunch of sonnets. <laughs> Fell deep in love, but now we ain't speaking. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> Poetry. Yes. I like Kevin Bacon, but I hate Put loose. Okay. Mood. Indefensible. Yes. Indefensible <laughs> mood. Bare naked yes. ladies were actually their rap heroes. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yes. Somehow, like, one week makes more sense just in terms of like yes. references. That's, that's like a linear character study. This yeah. is like, oh, you know, you come from Georgia's where the peaches grow. Yeah. Anyway, back to Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Don Knox. Makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. For the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Thirty percent of all songs in 1989 had exactly the same production. (laughs) (laughs) Just one sort of like a slightly dingy sounding half break beat, and you're good. Yeah, and a little lilting acoustic guitar over the top that Mm -hmm. was everywhere in every genre. (laughs) Also, speaking as somebody from Boston, I say this with love, but hearing such an unreconstructed Boston douchebag voice on the radio was so (laughs) shocking. It was like, wow, people thought Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch did not go far enough in terms of. Like, and it was like such a beautifully thrown together kind of song. Like, it definitely did not sound like anybody planned on it. Yeah. It was a good year for douchebags. I mean, let's face it. The best year. Peak douchebag year. Absolutely. (laughs) RIP to LFO, this perfect, beautiful, classic, eternal song. Wanted to pause for just a minute and talk about The Jump, a brand new original podcast from MailChimp. It's hosted by Shirley Manson of Garbage, and she sits down with seven of the most influential musicians of the past couple decades, and it's a good list. Nico Case, Esperanza Spaulding, Big Boy, Dave One from Chromio, Perfume Genius, Courtney Love, and Karen O. And they kind of zero in on a single song, one that represents their artistic moment of truth. And they look at the impact that that song had on their careers and lives. Kind of a cool, focused concept for a podcast. And Shirley's always one of the best interviews in rock. I'm sure she's one of the best interviewers as well. And new episodes start June 24th. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify. Check it out now. So I want to take a moment and talk about Vivid Seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just got to get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you got to get out of the house. You got to have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code Rolling Stone. That's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Rolling Stone for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. 
Blink 1A2, all the small things. You know, for some reason, I actually have trouble placing that in 99, but of course it was. And Did you like it as a child? Absolutely. Yeah, I okay. loved it. I mean, the video too. I mean, just like that, having the video where it's making fun of all the boy band videos was just lovely. Like the song is so good. It's so catchy. I mean, it's just so much fun. They're just bratty and fun and amazing. Were they in fact Fisher Price, my first punk band for you as the goal was? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, they're probably one of the first punk bands I listened to or like first like rock bands I really loved. True care, truth brings, I'll take one lift, you're right. Let's jump to Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way, which is we were saying that No Scrubs is kind of a standard. And I think I Want It That Way is absolutely like a modern day standard. It's a perfect song. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfect song, yes. And one of those songs that just presents itself right away as perfectly put together, perfectly constituted song yeah. that we'd be hearing forever. One of those great songs in the pantheon of songs that just don't tell you exactly what they want but keep insisting that they want it. (laughs) There's no specificity in there. (laughs) You're not entirely sure what they're asking for, but you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, when they get to that, tell me why, it's like, wait, no. Like, why are you totally changing the subject? Like, what is it you want that way? I'll tell you why. What's going on? Fire, desire, I'm good up to that point, but... What are you asking here? Yes. <laughs> it's quite an old-fashioned song, even for 1999. Just like a classically constructed, it could have been a hit in every era except this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. That's... I don't know. Maybe even this yeah. one as a country song. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, <laughs> let's face it. Right, like, yeah. I think especially for, for boy band songs, I think that shifted so much to being much more up-tempo for a boy band hit to make it work, especially to break them. And I think, you know, prior to that, we obviously had like Boys to Men and New Kids on the Block were like able to get a lot of ballads on the radio in the 80s and 90s and make that work. And I think this is probably one of the last boy band breakthrough songs that is kind of mid-tempo, ballady, not like super hype, like Bye 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 or like What Makes You Beautiful. Like it's much slower than I think a lot of the 2000s boy band songs ended up being. Tell me why So number 11, very high, and I was a big fan of Eve at this time, uh, Got a Man by Eve. Yes. Eve, who just released a new song yesterday, respect to Eve. <laughs> Eve is eternal. I totally love this song, Got a Man. It's such a perfect sort of, you know, it's, it sounds like a jump rope rhyme or something. Yeah. Yeah. This nigga looking like love, no sophisticated thug, keep me guessing, said it would be your And Latigra, hot topic. What a song. Also, I like it coming right out of Eve. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. about those two goes straight together. Latuga, it's funny because like it seemed in 1999, like Bikini Kill and Riot Girl was something that had happened. So it was like really weird that nobody was really prepared for how great this Latuga record was. It was very comparable to the Fugazi record where it took these elements of like different bands and combined them into something just irresistible. Let's go to number 14, ODB, again, rest in peace, featuring Kalisa and Got Your Money. You know, I, I saw, I think that year, then I guess it was the next year, I saw like ODB's fugitive performance with the Wu-Tang. Really? Ran back to the MTV office and posted the news article about it. That was where he said he was living on Birdseed and stuff. And there were like 50 cops in the audience and didn't realize that they had a wanted fugitive on stage. That's uh, so beautiful. And I when I called the police for comment, they asked basically why I didn't make a citizen's arrest. And I was like, I was like I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a reasonable question, sir. Um, anyway, great final years of ODB. It was an album that he 
half joked that it should be up for a comedy Grammy, which is, you know, good point. <laughs> he said he was listening to all these Blowfly and Richard Pryor tapes, yeah. which you could definitely hear like all through the album. From the sublimely ridiculous to the just ridiculous, <laughs> and number 15. And I, I respect you, Rob, for putting this on the list. I think you're right. But we were talking about this in the break. Kid Rock's Cowboy. You know, I mean, you did the right thing. You put it all aside and said, this is a great song. You know, it's like Morrissey, who he resembles in so many ways that <laughs> burn me unto my soul. <laughs> There's a certain separate the artist from the art going on here. And with Kid Rock, it's a thing where everything he made us think about himself in Cowboy, that he was really funny and like into making fun of himself and mm-hmm. like really clever and hyperverbal and all these other things that turned out to be completely wrong. <laughs> but this song is just perfect. If you just like go to it in isolation, just a perfect song. And also a good preparation for his country future. I mean, I saw, again, 99 Memories, I saw a Kid Rock show at Irving Plaza, covered it for work, and I came home and I was like, this guy's really talented. That was what I might come away. He played like every instrument on stage. He rapped, he sang, covered songs. Was like, at the time, seemed like he was full of promise. It's possible that some of his worst qualities came with fame and, and riches, because that is a thing that happens, you know. But it's funny that, you know, on this album, there was that big ballad, Only God Knows Why, that mm-hmm. we all thought was like such a brilliant, like hilarious parody. And when he put out his next album, it was like, oh, that wasn't a parody. That was like <laughs> what he wanted to do for real for the rest of his career. It's absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> it's like if my world at the end of uh, Use Your Illusion 2 became the basis for <laughs> an entire album. Oh, wow. wait, it kind of did. That's yeah. a good point. Let's... Again, a thing you don't hear so often, let's hear Kid Rock's Cowboy. I'm packing up my game and I'm going head out west where real women come equipped with scripts and fake press, find a nest in the hills. I kind of forgot what the flow sounded like. That, that I will say. I forgot. All right. Well, it's not ingrained into your. <laughs> no, I just like forgot how slow it was. <laughs> like in my mind, it wasn't so elementary. <laughs> it didn't sound like I'm Kid Rock and I'm here to say so much, but it kind of sounds a little yeah, bit like that. Yeah. It, <laughs> But like, yeah, but just a perfect It's more of a trickle than a flow. (laughs) Destiny's Child, Beyonce's been around a long time. A long time. Someone pointed out, and I I say this with absolutely no disrespect, I think it's just an amazing fact that she is, in fact, technically old enough to be a member of the Traveling Wilburys. I forgot which member, but she is the same age as one of the members. So it's like the way that, I just saw that tweet today. Someone said, these are the people who could be in the Traveling Wilburys today, like based on age. And it was like this insane list. It was like (laughs) Brad Paisley, Beyonce, and like, I forgot who. And and it was like, it would have been a terrible band, but it is true. It's just- I'm reporting that tweet. Age work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blocked and reported. Uh, but like when there was that great ESPN thing where they had the new NBA draftees and they presented them with these like 90s artifacts. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And that none of them could recognize Destiny's Child mm-hmm. CD. And like one of them was like, is this the Beyonce sisters? <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Like, the answers they came up with, none of them had any idea who Destiny's Child were. And I was like, wow. Oh. It doesn't need to be said that Beyonce transcended her group, but I mean, talk about transcending your group. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. But such a perfect album, The Writing's on the Wall, and a song where like the first couple hits from it did not really sort of represent like what a truly adventurous and astounding record it was. So it was spinning off hits for the next two years. It's so weird to go back to it and just hear how sleek it is and how it sounds like an album made by artists who were just like well into their career, like maybe like a second, third album, like they already kind of knew they'd been around the block, like they're like already really, really in. And it was just like, it's so good. And part of it is because they were, I mean, as you know, they'd been attempted child stars Mm -hmm. and really were quite seasoned. 
by that time. And it's weird also to remember the extent to which Destiny's Child were just another group trying to have hits. Like I remember backstage at the VMAs, they were like hanging out and we interviewed them for MTV and they sang happy birthday for one of my colleagues. Given the way that Beyonce is very rightly treated now, it's just funny to look back like there she was. Like Beyonce, there's a dad. Like I talked to her dad all the time. It was like she he was a big source for me at MTV. It was like a different era. Yes, we're talking about Californication, the name of the song, the name of, of course, the album, mm-hmm. an album that like for people who thought they knew like what the Red Hot Chili Peppers were and who thought that, you know, they had absolutely no interest in anything this group would ever do. Just a shockingly great, like another perfect album. Every single song. Every single Californication, song. I would even say might be only just like the third best song on there. Wow. Yeah. What are your top two? I have to Scar ask. Tissue, Other Side. Those are both great. Already yeah. great. Other side. Also, Around the World is also very good, maybe tied with the song Californication. For also, me. Porcelain, so completely Porcelain forgotten. So Road Trippin' is so yeah. good. Parallel Universe. Yeah. The entire album. <laughs> yeah. Rob also picked out the one unimpeachably genius level lyric possibly that Anthony Kiedis ever wrote. Space may be the final frontier, but it's made in a, pol- in a Hollywood basement. That part I always remember, but I actually forgot the next line, or maybe never really kind of realized what he was saying. Cobain, can you hear the Spheres singing songs off station to station? Holy shit! Yeah. Anthony Kiedis wrote that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, my God, that's like a really, that's like an A-plus level lyric. What the yeah. hell? Please don't degrade the poet, yeah. Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. He was always interested in, you know, like iconography and mythology yeah. and, and history, you know, confide with Sly and be the wiser. <laughs> Talking about Kaiser Wilhelm versus Sly Stone, like, and those were early days for yeah. him. Right, it was, again, pre-Stadium Arcadium, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, this is when they'd had their Dave Navarro period, and it's easy yeah. to, like, to sort of write that out of their whole story that culminates in Stadium Arcadium. <laughs> no, but, but the one single was really good with the Airplane? <laughs> that was dog vomit, and you know it. No, I love that song. No, I love that song. No, you cannot defend Airplane. <laughs> that was I'm a good sorry. Song. I'm drawing a line in the chili pepper <laughs> sand. <laughs> That's a jam. I really like that song. I like the Navarro yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. All right. I withdraw my <laughs> sincere but clearly like wrong uh, objection to this astoundingly wrong take. Why do we have so much passion about the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Because they rule. So yeah. <laughs> we need to do like a weekly podcast just argue about like, Stadium Arcadium, yeah. the ongoing legacy. But also, if you watch the airplane video now, mm-hmm. like it's it's classic example of a band who like have no idea they're like we don't know how we got this terrible how is this happening like their eyeshadow it's like very like yeah we've been up for a week because we dreaded the idea of making a video for any of these songs the other side video maybe one of the best Red Hot Chili Peppers videos because they're like in like a Grand Theft Auto video game and Anthony Kiedis has like emo hair like Pete Wentz hair before Pete Wentz was known to the public Wow. It's very wow. good. Wow. Wearing some really good eyeliner. Yet another innovation. Like you watched them on stage at Woodstock 99 when they started playing Jimi Hendrix's Fire, and it was like, oh, wow, where is that nearest exit? <laughs> One of the worst song choices of all time, perhaps. Uh, the, the set list choices. Yes, yes. In terms of like all time worst set list choices, like playing Fire when people are handing out candles, very bad idea on every level. Not even my favorite Hendrix song or my favorite cover, but that's a whole other story. It's like not even close. But yes, Cobain's Station to Station. And that line is and line. the entire song is full of brilliant lines. Yeah. It's just like a perfect song. Also, perfect guitar solo. Just everything about this is just like a perfect song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just laughing about our chili peppers thing. I wanted to tell you about The Jump, a new MailChimp original podcast hosted by Shirley Manson. She sits down with seven of the most influential musicians of the last two decades. Nico Case, Esperanza Spalding, Big Boy. 
Dave One from Chromio, Courtney Love, Karen O of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and Perfume Genius. In each episode, they discuss a song that represents the guest's artistic moment of truth and the impact that song had on their careers and their lives. New episodes start June 24th. The Jump is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Number 18, <laughs> Juvenile. Back that ass up. Very proto-Stadium Arcadium in so many yeah. ways. But this was like, you know, Manny Fresh was so new. Like the whole like idea of the, like, the New Orleans thing sort of taking over the world. And you can hear in this song, like they know they're doing it. Like there's so much excitement. The, the Cash Money 99 thing, like very like, wow, we are really like, you can hear the moment we are taking over the world. It's- and speaking of people who've been around a long time, Lil Wayne. And I think at least two songs on this list. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Imagine going back like, you know, to this song and saying like, yeah, this guy will be touring with Blink-182 <laughs> 20 years from now. And then leaving the tour. <laughs> yeah, and we'll Very make dramatic. headlines by like quitting mid-set. Like. Weirdly, I'm not sure any of that would have surprised me, but it's, it's, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds, that sounds like about good right. Good point, good point. Oh, <laughs> Drake makes great use of the song on practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite Drake songs. And I, the, I, the first time I had heard this song was after I listened to practice because I thought it was a great <laughs> oh, <wow>. song. <laughs> but it's very good. Yes, yet another tribute to Drake. So many songs on this 1999 list yeah. ended up being like covered or sampled or reworked by Drake somehow. Like <laughs> just amazing. Where's like, Drake's list of the 99 best songs of 1989? Yeah, the way he spent his whole career giving us this list. <laughs> no, yeah, he has great taste in taking stuff like that. When he took that mace flow for mm-hmm. the, you know, like among other things as we know he's a great curator yeah number 19 mandy moore's candy it was kind of like the last of it was part of the the 98 99 initial burst of teen pop with christina and Brittany. it was kind of like she slipped in there absolutely yeah also like what a really intense song the song is all about the absence of candy she's not actually eating any candy during this song she's <laughs> missing you like candy like being deprived of candy <laughs> is her whole experience with candy the semiotics of this song are so intense and disturbing in so many ways yeah sung by like a 14 year old how is she she was really young yeah yeah. uh, i don't remember her exact age but it's funny because this is one of just it's such a great pop song such a perfect pop song and it just she just got so swallowed by like you had mentioned christina britney like all these other pop heavyweights that debut at the same time to the point where i forget that the song came out in 1999 like regularly. And a big thing was giving like these innuendo laden songs to yeah. like, teenagers. It's creepy as hell. None of this aged well. It's all it's all just really creepy. All I can say, Brian, yeah. is you know who you are. Your love's as sweet as candy. I'll be forever yours. Love always. Mandy. Mm. And she kept that promise, dare I say. That's her voicemail to this day. You gotta have a womp womp in everything. Most <laughs> required, yes, required. I wonder if they, like, what that, you know, it's it's obviously like sort of a wildlife effect, but I wonder if it was a preset at the time. I could find out. It'd be interesting to know, like, yeah. exactly why. It was probably like a preset on everyone's keyboard at the time, you know, doing the bass on the keyboard, of course. As one would do bass, you, do, you play yeah. it on the keyboard. That's the best <laughs> yeah. way. Rage Against the Machines, Sleep Now in the Fire. They're naming the 1492 ships, like, Ketis naming Cobain and station to station. The historical depth that you could get away with in the lyrics of a 1999 pop song. Billy Shakespeare writing a whole bunch of sonnets, which he did. 
Learned all my history from 99 pop songs. Yes. Or Kid Rock, like in Cowboy, like in L.A., saying, I'm going to find Motown and tell those fools to come back home. Some serious, like, intense, you know, Detroit music history going on in that line. And these were the final days of Rage Against the Machine. It was about they were about to break up the following year. Who would have guessed? And for a band that, you know, like, only made an album every few years, because mm-hmm. I guess, like, the insane amount of arguing they had to do to even, like, be in the same place. But, like, Battle of Los Angeles, like, just an astoundingly perfect album. Definitely does not sound like an album by a band at the end. The highest sort of electronic thingy is number 22, The Chemical Brothers, The Sunshine Underground, which is such a great song. Such a great song, such a perfect album. It, there was a funny take going around the takeosphere, like last week, that the Chemical Brothers <laughs> are the best <laughs> English group of all time. And I was like, wow, I love like what a like brash take that is. And yet, <laughs> certainly a case can be made. But just like astounding how those records sound prophetic. They don't just hold up, but it's like, wow, like a few years later, the world was full of like mediocre bands trying to sound like you know like these two DJs <laughs> yeah you point out that this song in particular kind of augured the you know LCD sound system and the rapture and that that thing which was totally. kind of the next progression from their thing and uh, you know 99 was one of those years that was caught between the past and the future as are all years really <laughs> as are all years technically <laughs> As, as is every moment we live. But but 99 really was a true pivot. You it was know? that pre-Y2K energy. Absolutely. That, like, you know. Yes. And, and, and also techno, electronic. I think people went back to calling it techno in 99. Yeah. But so many groups made just astoundingly great records because they no longer felt they had to, you know, like they were confident of like this massive audience. So like the Chemical Brothers, instead of making any kind of puristy record or any kind of like uptight record, just made this sort of, you know, totally bombastic, brilliant record. Well, let's hear Sunshine Underground before we move on. It's like directly between Revolver and, and LCD Sound totally. System. It's the, it's the exact <laughs> midpoint. So Smooth, I feel like we've talked, oh, because I had Rob Thomas on the show, so we kind of talked about Smooth. I like your assertion, Rob, that if there might be more male rock stars if they studied Rob Thomas's way of praising, quote, female smoothitude. Very unambiguously worshipful. Also, I just love that he's still married to the woman he wrote this yeah. song about. She was Viva Amore, hope for us all. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I would say it would be hypocritical not to be, but I mean, judging by the history of songs and human beings, that, that would be like, a harsh judgment. But considering like how yeah. smooth remains, you know, like a song you constantly hear and it's constantly a beacon. Yeah. I, I just love that song. And there's that like light ridiculousness to some of the lyrics. Like the man, it's a hot one from the beginning. And it's just like still so quotable and in, just like such a, a way to start a song. Yeah. Every song should start with "Man, it's a hot one." <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the Britney challenge to all songwriters. Yeah. Yes, you know, but yeah, you can laugh at it, which many people have spent years. But it, it is a great beginning to a song yeah. because I love songs that sound like part of an actual conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that there's that secret to great lyric writing, and I think yeah, I'm, I'm going to unironically praise Smooth. One of the it's many great. things I love from David Brown's oral history of Smooth, which is so great, and you should check out is the idea that, you know, Santana is so, Carlos Santana is so uninterested in songs, qua songs, forgot what it was, but some kind of jam. And he thought maybe he could just work the instrumental from smooth into the jam. And they're like, no, what if instead of that, you had someone sing a hook and write an actual song? He's like, or we could do that. I don't know. It's it's completely, completely all the same to him. Like, 
I think that stuff is just one of the only unambiguous tributes to Clive Davis. One of the things that he did that is is just you know unambiguously good. I think is is make Supernatural. Yes, it's <laughs> a, a purely Clive record that is like the absolute best argument you could make for Clive. Yeah. But also like David's oral history of that song, like Britney's oral history of All Star. <laughs> these are like must reads in terms of like just very true the sheer amount that these musicians in 1999 lived in their own worlds. Santana, like all his stuff, like his stuff about video games. I'm not even going to try to encapsulate. <laughs> I had no idea all the video game stuff that went into smooth. I was like, wow, like I thought I knew this song. Man, this hot one is even hotter than I even realized. I was merely measuring it in centigrade and like there's all this Kelvin going on. Yeah, if you've ever talked to Carl Santana, any attempt to summarize or paraphrase what he says to you is often misguided. His thought processes are unique. He knew yeah. he was pregnant with a masterpiece. That's right. That's right. That was one of the more coherent things. He yeah, did. yeah. Wow. In the remaining couple of minutes, yeah, let's do Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Uh, goodbye, Earl. What a song. I love a, I love a murder bop. Yeah, it is, it is a murder bop. And they're another act who look even better in retrospect. They were ahead of their time and fierce and unapologetic and always good. Like they never did. I don't remember anything bad that Dixie Chicks ever did. Their music's awesome. Yes. And their influence is so huge now. Like, especially like, it seems like younger songwriters, the Dixie Chicks is where it all comes from. It's really kind of amazing how the moment has totally come around to them. Yeah. I think we probably have room for one more. And do you want to talk about Beautiful Stranger by Madonna? Because it's like she continued the vibe of Ray of Light for this one more song. Whereas I wish she could have continued it for like five more albums. I, I, I mean, no, genuinely, like I love that album and I feel like it kind of stands alone and it, I think it could have spawned like a whole genre at least for her but Beautiful Stranger from of course the soundtrack to Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me the classic is, song is, for a classic is a film is a fantastic yes. song and she pulled in just enough of a 60s vibe to justify its Austin Powers mm-hmm. inclusion I guess yes well, in terms of the 60s vibe, I mean, she comes in colors by love. It's just like, you know, straight up tribute to, you know, this tribute. Yeah, yeah. Tri- tribute, yes. Yeah. Tribute. <laughs> it feels like a, a really great midpoint, too, between Ray of Light and music. Like, I think there's kind of that don't tell me vibe to it. Totally. Another absolutely killer song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of like these three of the, as the great trilogy of Madonna's entire career. Like, yeah, Beautiful Stranger is such a perfect song. Yeah. And I, I do want to shout out Cirrus, uh, who made that was an album I just kept listening to over and over again that year. I remember playing it late at night at MTV on the 29th floor, and like I thought I was the only one there. And like two people came up and were like, "What is that?" It was just monumentally beautiful music, as horrible as they apparently are in interviews and stuff. Like that is just I haven't listened to it in a long time. I'd like to listen to it again. It's such a great album, and that's one of the songs I don't really have individual songs. So that that album is just one like iceberg, one singular <laughs> iceberg to me. <laughs> Anyway, so this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We've gone over just a small tip of the iceberg that is Rob Sheffield's fantastic list of the best songs of 1999. Maybe we'll get to return to it at some point. But thanks to Bernie Spanos and Rob Sheffield himself for being here. We will be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106, at 1 p.m. on Friday. And in the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. That's always appreciated. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll definitely see you next week.
to Talkville. The Ultimate Smallville Rewatch Podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.